0: The following audio is from City Rev Church. For more information about City Rev Church, visit us online at cityrev.org. George Mueller was a man who lived in the 1800s. Some of you may know his name, many of you don't. George Mueller was a man who lived in England and saw in his day one of the great crises that was happening in that time was a significant shortage of care for orphans. So literally thousands of orphans across England lived in destitute poverty with no one to care for them. And George Mueller moved with compassion and burdened by this situation, started praying and thinking, God, are you calling me to do something about this, about these children who are left with nothing? As this is happening in George Mueller's heart and he's seeing the pain of his city, He starts noticing as he talks to different Christians in the city, this recurring pattern that started to disturb him. He spoke to some businessmen who described some shady practices that they were doing because they felt like they needed to in order to put food on the table for their families. He interacted with people who in the situation lived in poverty and were in such conditions that they tried doing things that did not honor God as a way to make their needs met. And moved with this, burdened by this, George Mueller would often say to them, recounting what Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, how we are to look at the birds, how God takes care of the birds. Aren't we of more value than birds? And so two things started to kind of intersect in his heart number one there's this orphan crisis he's burdened by and then number two he looks out at fellow christians in his city and he sees a lack of faith and an absence of prayer that people's cue in those moments of desperation was to manipulate or cheat or steal rather than to pray and trust and depend I want you to hear George Mueller's own words as he was contemplating what he was to do about this. He finally concluded that he would start an orphanage, and here's his reasoning why. He said this, I certainly did from my heart desire to be used by God to benefit the bodies of poor children, bereaved of both parents and seek in other respects with the help of God to do them good for this life. I also particularly long for them, long to be used by God in getting the dear orphans trained up in the fear of God. But still, listen to this, the first and primary object of the work was that God might be magnified by the fact that the orphans under my care are provided with all they need only by prayer and faith without anyone being asked by me or my fellow laborers whereby it might be seen that God is faithful still and answers prayer still. George Mueller's life goes on, and for about a half a century, George Mueller led an organization and several orphan houses that cared for thousands upon thousands of British orphans, teaching them about Jesus and providing for their daily needs. And at the intersection of that burden, of seeing that lack of faith and prayerlessness and the need in his community, he felt and sensed this unique calling from God to start an orphanage, not by fundraising, not by going to people, And he understood his calling was to, as a witness and demonstration to the community around him that God answers prayer, his conviction was that he was to pray for every need. And there's this short little book. I highly encourage you to read it if you're wanting to grow and be inspired in prayer. It's a book called Answers to Prayer by George Mueller. It's essentially his prayer diary. And he recounts story after story of them coming to the end of their their provision coming to the end of their bank account, having very few British pounds left and God coming through time and time again. There's a famous story of one time there was no food and no drink left in the orphanage. They had nothing. And this is the story of George Mueller sitting all the children down at the dinner table or at the breakfast table that morning and sitting down with nothing on their plates and nothing in their cups George Mueller began to pray and thank God for how he's been faithful and how he's provided. And as he prays, he hears a knock at the door. And here comes someone delivering, bringing food and milk, bread and drink for the children. It was just enough for what they needed. Now, if that's like a one-time story, like you're like, wow, that's kind of cool. But he, in his diary, he counts, he recounts story after story after story And maybe you hear that and you're like, man, that's amazing. I might be even interested in checking that out, looking up that story. But if I'm honest, if I look at my life, it's kind of like, well, that's cool for George Mueller. That has not been my experience with prayer. Am I doing something wrong? Am I dialing the wrong number? Why why is it in my life? I think for many of us, uh, we have this really complicated relationship with prayer. If you're a follower of Jesus, you know it's something you ought to be doing, but when we experience God's no, or when we experience God's not yet, in response to our prayers, we often do one of two things. We'll either give up praying altogether, or instead, because we wanna be good Christians, we don't give up praying, we just set the bar really low and start praying puny prayers and asking God for things that are reasonable, manageable, we lower the bar so as to not disappoint ourselves. And so we give in. I think many of us, we've been there. You've prayed and you've prayed and you prayed. And what I wanna do for our time today is I simply have one agenda. This has been my prayer this week leading up today is that God would expand us as a church and us as individuals, that he would expand our horizon of what's possible through prayer. Specifically, we're talking about intercession, a form of prayer that's going to God on behalf of another and asking God to work in a situation on behalf of this other person, which is a Christ-like thing to do, to stand in the gap, to see a need and to say, God, would you come and move in power and change this like only you can? And my prayer is that God would stir that up in our church that we would be a people of prayer. And so to do that, I wanna look at Daniel chapter six. Let me give you the setting of what's happening. Daniel was a Jewish exile taken to Babylon, lived in Judah, was taken as a young man captive by the world superpower of the time, Babylon. And in Daniel chapter six, by then, the Babylonian empire has fallen, the Medo-Persian empire has risen to power. And so if you could think about it, it is the most powerful nation at the time. Daniel's living in that kingdom. And Daniel, because God has blessed him and favored him, has positioned inside the king, King Darius, the king of the Medo-Persian empire. Daniel is one of his top three guys. There are three officials under the king and Daniel's one of the three. And Daniel's the one that's honestly the most favored. So Daniel's in this position of favor. He's in this position of esteem in the Medo-Persian empire. Darius likes him. And then Daniel's peers, the other officials, the other leaders conspire. They don't like Daniel. They feel threatened by Daniel. They conspire and go to King Darius and say, Hey, King Darius, uh, listen, uh, I think we have a good idea for a new law. Let's make a law according to the laws of the Medes and the Persians so that it cannot be revoked, that for 30 days no one can pray to any god except to you, King Darius. Now, what, you know... Ego-driven king wouldn't like that, right? So King Darius is like, all right, I'm on board. He signs the edict for 30 days in all of, uh, all of Persia. There's to be no prayer to any god except the king of Persia by penalty of death if you're caught. And so the story unfolds. Daniel hears that this law is signed into, uh, this document is signed into law, and here's what he does. Look at verse 10. Daniel 6, verse 10 When Daniel knew that the document had been signed, he went to his house where he had windows in his upper room, in his upper chamber, open towards Jerusalem. He got down on his knees three times a day and prayed and gave thanks before his God as he had done previously. These men came by agreement, his enemies came by agreement, and found Daniel making petition and plea before his God. Then they came near and said to the king, Concerning the injunction, O king, did you not sign an injunction that anyone who makes petition to any god or man within 30 days except to you, O king, shall be cast into the den of lions? The king answered and said, The thing stands fast according to the law of the Medes and the Persians, which cannot be revoked. Then they answered and said before the king, Daniel, who is one of the exiles of Judah, pays no attention to you, O king or the injunction you've signed, but makes his petition three times a day. The story unfolds, Daniel hears about the law. He makes a beeline for his home. The first thing we're told he does is he has windows open facing Jerusalem and he prays three times daily. Windows open for anyone to see. It's not rocket science. What would happen next? The people see him very clearly, his enemies. They don't really even have to try hard. They just spot him right there in his chamber. They go and tell King Darius, Daniel defied your law. And Darius is troubled by this. He's not very excited. He has favor upon Daniel, but because it's signed into law, he's kind of like this reluctant king who's like, hey, I guess I have to do this. I have to follow through with the edict. And so Daniel is delivered over to death. He's thrown over into a pit that has lions inside of it. It's the famous story of Daniel in the lion's den. A stone is rolled over the pit and then at early dawn the next day, the stone gets rolled away. Daniel emerges alive and he says, my God delivered me from death and from the mouth of these lions. And King Darius is elated and excited to see this. And Daniel's enemies, the conspirators, they actually are the ones that end up dying at the hands of those or at the mouths of those lions. And then Daniel gets exalted. We're told he prospers in the time of King Darius in Persia. And we're told that letters get sent out throughout the entire Persian empire, all different languages and nations and people, so that they might hear the good news that Daniel's God can deliver from death. So Daniel is saved and delivered. But for our purposes today, I want to back up and ask the question, Why did Daniel end up in the lion's den in the first place? Well, it's obvious he broke the king's edict. And how did he break the king's edict? He prayed with his windows open. Well, let's ask the question, why did he pray with his windows open? Is this Daniel just like with bravado saying like, all right, king, if you're going to tell me I can't pray, well then, bam, like, come get me. Is this just him being foolish? Is it him being prideful? What's he doing here? Well, to answer that question, we actually have to back up in the story of the Bible about 420 years. Over four centuries before the time of Daniel, a man by the name of Solomon was king in Israel. And in 1 Kings chapter 8, in a moment, we're going to turn there. In 1 Kings chapter 8, Solomon, one of his chief accomplishments, perhaps his chief accomplishment during his reign as king is that he oversaw the construction of the temple in Jerusalem. The temple is the place where they would offer sacrifices uh, to God, to worship God. And at the construction of the temple in Jerusalem, as soon as the final pieces of the temple are constructed, God's glory comes and fills the temple. It's this dramatic moment. And we're told that Solomon begins to pray. And he begins to ask God for several specific requests regarding this temple. Solomon prays for it, envisions a day when his people might lose in battle. And he says, God, if my people lose in battle, will you, if they turn from their sins and look towards this temple and offer their prayer to you, would you hear them? Would you advance their cause? Would you heal? He envisions a day when there's famine, when, when there's pestilence, a day when there's a, a lack of rain. And Solomon prays into these specific scenarios and says, God, if my people your people pray to you facing this temple? Would you hear their prayer and would you answer and maintain their cause, God? And then one final request. Solomon envisions one more specific scenario. Solomon says this, look with me, 1 Kings chapter 8, starting in verse 46. If the people sin against you, for there is no one who does not sin, and you are angry with them and give them to an enemy so that they are carried away captive to the land of the enemy, far off or near. Yet if they turn their heart in the land to which they have been carried captive and repent And plead with you in the land of their captors saying these words, we have sinned and acted perversely and wickedly. If they repent with all their mind and with all their heart in the land of their enemies who carried them captive and pray to you toward their land which you gave to their fathers, the city that you've chosen and the house that I have built for your name. Then here in heaven, your dwelling place, their prayer and their plea and maintain their cause and forgive your people who have sinned against you and all their transgressions that they may have committed against you and grant them compassion in the sight of those who carried them captive that they may have compassion on them for they are your people and your heritage which you brought out of Egypt from the midst of the island iron furnace. In other words, Solomon envisions the precise scenario Daniel finds himself in. Captive in an enemy land. And Solomon prayed, God, if one day your people are captive in a faraway land, if they would turn their face towards you If they would turn towards this place, Jerusalem, the city that you have set your name on, the temple where your presence dwells, Lord, would you hear and would you act? So we know this is what Daniel was praying about because later on in chapter nine of Daniel, flip back over with me or tap over with me to Daniel chapter nine, look with me at how Daniel is praying Chapter 9, the book of Daniel is not organized chronologically. Chapter 9 actually gives us a window into Daniel's prayer life during the time period of chapter 6. Listen to what it says in verse 1. In the first year of Darius, that was the king that made the edict. In the first year of Darius, the son of Ahasuerus, by descent Amid, who was king over the realm of the Chaldeans. In the first year of his reign, I, Daniel, perceived in the books the number of years... That according to the word of the Lord to to Jeremiah, the prophet must pass before the end of the desolations of Jerusalem, namely 70 years. Then I turned my face to the Lord God, seeking him by prayer and pleas for mercy with fasting and sackcloth and ashes. And I prayed to the Lord, my God, and made confession, saying, O Lord, the great and awesome God who keeps covenant and steadfast love with uh, love, uh, with those who love him and keep his commandments. Listen to what he says. We have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly and rebelled, turning aside from your commandments and rules. If verse five sounds familiar, it's because it's the same exact word Solomon prays that if his people are captive one day, if they will turn their hearts to you, Lord, and say, we have sinned and done wrong and acted wickedly, would you hear us? Here's what's happening in Daniel 6. Here's why the windows are open. Daniel is believing at the intersection of two prayers right now. Of something Solomon prayed 420 years before. Daniel, so believing that God is a God who answers prayer, knows what Solomon prays, prays based on that prayer in faith in the God who answers prayer, and asks God to do what he promised to do. And how passionate was Daniel about this prayer. Three times daily, he prayed this. Daniel offered this prayer knowing that it could very well lead to his death when he would be thrown into a pit with lions. Daniel offering us an example of prayer. Now, Daniel here gives us an example to follow. And if you follow along with the story, the way it plays out is really quite interesting. Daniel, he studied the prophet Jeremiah. We read that in chapter 9 a moment ago. He studies the prophet Jeremiah, and he recognizes Jeremiah said there'd be 70 years, 70 years of their exile. And Daniel, based on what God spoke through Jeremiah, starts making his prayer to the Lord. And then God is going to respond to Daniel's prayer saying, it's actually going to be 70 weeks or 70 sets of seven. But beyond what Daniel could have ever imagined, God answered his prayer. Because when the story unfolds, if you keep reading along with the storyline of the Bible, eventually they do go back to Jerusalem. They do go back and the city gets rebuilt. The walls of the city are rebuilt. The temple gets reestablished. It's the temple that later on Herod is going to refurbish and that Jesus is going to walk through that very temple. The temple is rebuilt and it is reestablished, but there was this sense that something was missing. Prophets spoke about how the former glory of the previous temple far exceeded this second temple. And in Daniel 9, we're told that there's going to be this coming anointed one. Someone's going to come who's going to bring an end to sin and iniquity. Someone's going to come who's going to bring an end to guilt and shame. Someone's going to come, a Messiah, an anointed one, to do for God's people what they could not do and bring about a new thing that God is doing in the world. Someone is going to come and in ways that exceeded how Daniel could have even fathomed. It culminated in the person of Jesus, the true temple, God's very presence, Jesus, the word of God, Jesus, the one who's the image of the invisible God, Jesus, who's the radiance of the glory of God, Jesus, the tabernacle of God. He is God in the flesh who has come, and it's this Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed one, that the angel Gabriel responding to Daniel's prayer in chapter nine says he's coming, this anointed one. Jesus, it's this Jesus who's the son of man that Daniel talks about in chapter seven, who's gonna be exalted to God's right hand and rule the nations. So God, working through the prayer of Solomon and Daniel 420 years later believing and a God who answers prayer and who is faithful to his promises, dares to risk his life asking God to come through and do what seems impossible in the midst of a world superpower. Here's what I, I want to just offer to you today. If you're taking notes, write this down. Here's the main idea for our time today. This has been my prayer over each of you leading up to today, is that God would expand our horizon of what's possible through prayer that God would expand your horizon of what's possible through prayer. Uh, You know, Daniel, it would be understandable and reasonable for someone like Daniel to get into survival mode. By survival mode, I mean he's, he's living as an exile away from his home, seeing how his people are being mistreated, It's easy for us to just see how Daniel would slip into man. I'm just trying to get through the day. I've got these enemies who want me dead, these people who don't like me. I'm just trying to make it past this giant wall that's in front of me, let alone be able to have any measure of a vantage point to be able to get outside of my problems for the day. I think it's so relatable, right, for many of us, many of us in this room, many of us at Cooper City, we've got problems and issues that are so overwhelming right here, right now. It's so hard for us to just get outside of, Lord, just help me make it through today. Some of us hurting having been mistreated. Some of us hurting having people who have conspired against you and become enemies to you and are falsely accusing you some of us in this room, some of us watching online, who you're overwhelmed and consumed because you have no idea how you're gonna make ends meet. Overwhelmed by a marriage issue, overwhelmed by a child who's lost, a health issue that you don't know what's next. It's easy for us to get kind of in this place where it's like, God, I just wanna make it through the day. I'm so overwhelmed. But I want you to think with me about Physics. bet you didn't think I would say that. You know, here's how the horizon works. The horizon, it's basically your ability to see for a certain distance. It can only go so far. So if you're at the beach and you look out and there's the edge there of the horizon, there's more beyond that. You just can't see it. There are things there, but all that you can perceive and even fathom is right there in front of you. But you know, there's something that actually affects how far the horizon is from you. Uh, The lower that you are in altitude, the closer you are to sea level, the closer the horizon is to you to where your vision can only go so far. But the higher up you go... And the way that your eyes might lift up and get up higher in altitude, if you can get up higher, your horizon actually starts to move further beyond what you could see when you were down here. You following? If we could just... Get our eyes up. I know it's overwhelming. I know it's consuming. I know with children, it's difficult. I know with our marriages, it's difficult. With the financial situation you're in, it's difficult. If we could just get our eyes lifted up and our perspective on the character and promise of God, we can then enter into those and see, God, before I couldn't see it, I wouldn't even dare ask it, but now, God, knowing who you are, I dare to believe and ask and pray and seek persistently without giving up, that you would come through. Do the impossible, God. Help me to have the faith to see. Daniel, he gives us this pattern and examples. And so I came today, I want to elevate your eyes today that you might go up and ask the Lord, help me to see things as you see them and give me the faith and courage to ask you and to come to you and believe that you're able to do what's exceedingly beyond what I'm able to do. You know, uh, prayer is one of those things that up here, it's like, yes, I'm tracking, but when it gets down deep into like, what does this actually look like in my life? There's just some practical things about prayer that sometimes we either assume or we lose track of. And so I just wanna offer Three practical ways that we can include and incorporate a prayer, three words. The words are purpose, plan, and persist. Purpose, plan, and persist. First, purpose. What do I mean by purpose? If we're gonna be a praying people, we need to have a sense of what is the purpose of our prayers? What types of things should I be praying for? What requests? What things should I be asking God for? And when it comes to requesting, God, what should I be praying for? The pattern an example of Daniel is so helpful. Daniel prays according to what God has promised and who God is. He prays according to God's character and he prays according to what God has spoken. This is why the practice of reading and meditating on scripture, if you want to be a person who sees God answer prayer, One of the best things you can do is read and meditate on God's word that reveals his heart, that shows us his promises. And so we pray for things like healing. We pray that God would heal sickness because he's revealed himself as God, our healer. We pray for things like forgiveness, where there's brokenness and division. We pray for reconciliation. Why? Because it's near to the heart of God for reconciliation and mercy and grace. We pray for provision. We pray that God would provide and meet our needs. Why? Because he's promised and this is who he is. He's a provider. And so we pray according to that purpose that he's revealed himself to be. Then second, plan. Plan. Number two. This is simply just what is your plan for prayer? When do you actually pray? Again, Daniel's instructive three times daily at morning, afternoon, and evening sacrifice. Even though there were no sacrifices offered at the Jerusalem temple, it was destroyed. Daniel kept the rhythm morning, afternoon, and evening prayer. What is your prayer rhythm? What are those protected times in your day, in your week that you give yourself to prayer? Don't miss just the simplicity and importance of that. What's that quiet space? Is it a walk that you need to go on? In the morning time where you walk around your neighborhood? Is it midday at work during lunch? You step out and you go for a walk or a drive, no music on, you just pray. What is your prayer rhythm? When is that time? And then we also need some some sense of a plan with how. Do you have a list that you work through? I highly recommend lists. Yesterday I had a stack of journals that I had uh, and the way that I usually do it is at the back of my journals, I always have a page with specific requests that I'm praying for. That does a number of things. Number one, it helps you to remember. We're quick to forget what to pray for. Number two, it also helps us keep track when God answers prayer. And we have our own little diary of answers to prayer in our lives. And so have a journal where you're writing things down. This is what I'm praying for. This is what I'm believing and trusting God for. What is that plan that you have in your life? Daniel got on his knees when he prayed. Is it for you to be on your knees as a posture saying, God, I'm coming to you surrendering in the posture of helplessness. I can't run anywhere. I'm not in a position of power. I'm in a position of surrender. I'm coming to you as your child. What's your plan? How and when? And then third, persist, persist. I bet there's many of us who hear a message like this and are like, man, I've heard sermons like this. I've done the prayer thing a lot. I've been praying for my child that has wandered away, maybe even abandoned his family, her family, and nothing's changed. And it's been years. I've been praying for my spouse. I've been praying for a future spouse. And nothing's changed. I've been praying for healing from this illness that's been tormenting me. That's been so burdensome to me. And I've prayed and had people pray and pray and nothing's changed. I've prayed for breakthrough with my mental health and I feel like I'm plagued by anxiety and I can't get these thoughts out of my head and I've prayed and prayed and asked people to pray and pray and nothing's changed and to the person that that's where you are my word to you is persist don't give up don't lose heart Reminds me of a few weeks ago I was with my family at, at Disney and my son Hudson, our oldest, right when we walk in the park, he spots a toy that he wants. And so my parents, who are amazing grandparents and amazing parents, they're like, Yeah, we'll get it for you on the way out today. Just little car. And throughout the day, we'd ride something, and at like 30-minute intervals. Hudson would come to me and say, Daddy, can we go to the hotel? (laughs) Now, at first, I thought for a moment, but then I realized, oh, you want the toy? And he's like, yeah, yeah, I really want it. And I was like, son, no, we're going to stay here. It's just, listen, trust me, you're going to want to be here. We could play with the toy anytime, okay? It's a silly toy. It's not a big, you don't want to miss what we're about to experience right now. And so we'd ride another ride and then he'd have a blast. And then after it, okay, daddy, is it time to go to the hotel yet? <laughs> and I say, no, son, it's, it's not yet time. And he did this like four or five times. Eventually, I think after he went on his first big boy roller coaster, really enjoyed it. I think he was good. He kind of got lost in it. And then he was happy when we left and got the toy. But in that story, It reminds me that we have precedence as humans for times where our children who don't have the vantage point and perspective and wisdom that we have ask us for things that they are convinced is actually what's best and for their good, but that we as their parents who have wisdom beyond their years, not to their own fault. I mean, how could there be the same level of wisdom? He's five. where it's the most loving thing I could do to my son to say, son, not yet. And even though he couldn't understand it and he kept asking, and I'm okay with him keeping asking me, I don't want him to stop asking me for things. But one thing that starts to happen over time with me and my son is over time, my son is going to start to pick up on, and he's doing this slowly, but surely he's going to start to learn more and more the types of things I'm really quick to say yes to and the types of things I'm quick to say no to. See, when it comes to prayer, we we can realize that the gap between my son and myself, if it's this, the gap between us and God and his wisdom and his perspective is infinite. And so though we may not understand why, although we want it now, we want to be healed now, we want everything to be made right now, we can't, possibly come up with a reason why we know who our God is. He's good. He's merciful. He's gracious and kind, and he is for you. And so my encouragement to you, mom, who's praying over, weeping over your daughter, keep praying to the husband, the wife, As burdened and overwhelmed, keep praying to that young person who has all these thoughts, negative thoughts. They hate themselves. You hate yourselves, and you feel like there's nothing you do. Keep praying. Don't give up praying. What might happen? What might happen? In our city, if followers of Jesus actually prayed and persisted, what needs might come to the surface and burdens might we see all around us? Let God place on our hearts and we begin to pray and ask, God, I don't know what this looks like. I don't know how to fix this. This issue at my job, this issue in my neighborhood, this person who's needy and destitute and in a horrible, I don't know what I can do, God, but please, would you show up? Would you help me to help them? What would happen if Christians in our city with that burden and persistence and prayer started to believe that God can and will answer prayer? That he will heal, he will restore he will surge forward his kingdom of righteousness and justice and mercy. What might happen here in South Florida with our own crises in our city? He's called you and he wants to use you in those spaces. You see, Daniel, yes, he's an example to us, but more than that, Daniel points us to the one who ultimately is our perfect example and the one who is our perfect Lord. You see, Daniel He, because of his three sessions of prayer leading to his death, he points us to someone who's far greater than him. You see, like Daniel, Jesus Christ had some conspirators plot a way to try and trap him try and deliver him over to death. And after three sessions of prayer in a garden where Jesus is praying to his father, facing his father, Jesus, pleading right there outside of Jerusalem, that city Daniel was praying towards, Jesus would then be taken and nailed to a cross. A reluctant ruler named Pilate, unsure of all that was happening, gave in to the conspirator's request. And Jesus dies and then is put in a pit. A stone rolled over the pit to seal his fate, and on the dawn of the third day, Jesus Christ rose up from death, proclaiming that his God had delivered him from death. And then, good news of his resurrection life got sent out in letters all throughout the Roman Empire in different languages to different peoples, proclaiming that there is a God who saves and delivers. And like Daniel, more than Daniel, Jesus wasn't exalted in. In the Roman empire he was exalted to the right hand of the father where he is right now interceding for you he's right now pleading your cause before the father if you're a follower of Jesus you have Jesus your high priest right now standing in the presence of his father seated there on his throne going before the father pleading your cause before you this is who your Jesus is and Jesus said I want you to ask things in my name. I want you to ask things of me according to my will. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do. He makes these lofty promises about prayer when we pray in his authority and in his name. And so, when you go to your Father, when you have your time, when you've got your plan and you're persisting, you don't go to your Father in heaven on the basis of your righteousness. I don't go to God on the basis of Justin's name. I go in the basis of Jesus' name. He has access. I don't have access on my own. He does. But when I come in Jesus' name, persistently, I say, God, would you hear my prayer? And so, I came today praying, God, would you elevate, help lift this horizon, these limits we've set on what you can do and help us to dare to believe that you can do the impossible. I love the words of John Newton, the famous uh, hymn writer who wrote Amazing Grace. He said this, thou art coming to a king, large petitions with thee bring for his grace and power such that none could ever ask too much. Remember, you're coming to a King. Don't bring your puny prayers to a king. Bring the large ones, bring the burdens, the ones too heavy to bear and keep bringing them. He is able. Here's how we wanna close our service. I wanna offer two invitations to you today. Number one, if you've never trusted in Jesus as your savior, if you've never put your faith in Jesus Christ, I wanna give you the opportunity today to turn from your sin, your own way of living, living life according to your own way, and to turn to Jesus as Lord, believing he died on that cross for you and he rose from the dead for you. I wanna invite you to trust Jesus today. But second, I wanna invite some of us who are here, who are at Cooper City, some of us online, God has maybe placed or surfaced a burden in you and you need prayer. We're gonna make space here at the conclusion of our service for you to be prayed over. And so to the person here who you're overwhelmed, you need prayer. You want someone to just pray over what's happening in your life. We want to give space for that. Don't miss this opportunity. I don't know why sometimes God uses other people to pray for the things that we've been praying for for years, to be the moment that shifts the atmosphere and that shifts things in our lives almost as a way of God communicating. We're a body, we're a family, and he intends to use not just our petitions, but our corporate intercession for each other as Jesus followers who are giving ourselves in prayer for others. And so I want to invite you here in a moment, if you need prayer, there'll be people here up at the front at both campuses to receive you and just pray over you. You just share, hey, here's what I need prayer for. Whether it's healing, whether it's a trauma you've been walking through, whether it's a secret you've been hiding, whether it's an addiction that you've been wrestling with, you can't battle and beat and defeat, whatever it might be, would you come forward here in a moment and ask for prayer for that thing? Let this be a day that that stronghold, that thing that maybe you've even been hiding and under the surface, try to just keep that mask on like everything's okay and put together. May today be a day that that moves. Let's pray together. Father in heaven, I pray for this time right now that you would be at the center of what we do. Jesus, right now for the person who doesn't know you as Savior, would you tap on their heart right now? Would you speak a word to them? Would you whisper down deep into their soul and say, You are mine? If that's you, if today you're ready to receive Jesus, would you just, with your head bowed and eyes closed, would you just offer a prayer saying yes to Jesus. Say, Jesus, today I I believe. I receive you as my savior. I am not my Lord, you are. And I believe you died for me and you rose for me. And then Father, I pray over the corporate needs of our church family that right now would be a time of healing, a time of restoration, a time of your spirit moving in power. And we just surrender this, Lord. We, your people, we get out of the way and we ask you, Holy Spirit, that you would be the one that has your way in this room, in this place. Jesus, we love you. We pray this in your perfect name. Amen, amen. Two invitations. If you put your faith in Jesus just a moment ago and you made that decision, that is the greatest decision you could ever make. We would love to share that moment, that celebration with you. And so in a moment, I'd love for you to fill that out on your connection card and say, hey, I put my faith in Jesus for the first time. Check off the box that says, I decided today to follow Jesus. Or online, you can go to cityrev.org faith, fill that out. We'd love to give you a Bible as our gift and help you in this journey of following after Jesus. And I'd say to you, if that's you, I would love for you to come forward and ask for prayer as well as you're starting this new faith journey. But for the rest of us, if you need prayer, in a moment, I'm gonna ask everybody to stand up. You just don't hesitate. Don't wait. You just come forward, find someone up here at the front. There'll be some staff and leaders who are up here and available to pray. But I wanna invite you, don't miss this opportunity to come and to pray. The rest of us can stand. Pray reflectively at your chair, sing, however God leads. But let's stand up together and you respond as the Holy Spirit is telling you to respond. Thanks for listening. For more resources and to check out other teaching series, please visit our website at cityrev.org.